Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to continue in our study through the Proverbs. And just as a little introduction to tonight's teaching, the cry of wisdom. We're going to study two um, Proverbs tonight. They're, they're kind of, the reason why I'm doing two is because they kind of contrast one another. And it's interesting to see uh, the cry, the, the title here is the cry of wisdom, but it's really the cry of foolishness versus the cry of wisdom. And which voice we listen to more. Foolishness, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the foolish and the Proverbs especially. Foolishness is a result of man's misusing his God-given intelligence. You know, we were given, uh, you know, an amount of intelligence by God to be used for his glory and to be used for our benefit and for the benefit of all mankind. And many times we just take what he's given to us and we misuse it. And the Bible calls that foolishness. He uses his reasoning, man uses his reasoning skills to make wrong decisions instead of right ones. And, you know, where do we find out what the right decisions are? Where do we find wisdom to walk in this world? Well, the Bible gives us a lot of the answers. As uh, many of you may think that we're born wise, but we really are born fools. The Bible says in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. So as we learn, as we learn about God, as we uh, study the scriptures, as we get a better picture of what God wants for us, we will start to learn those things and we should become wiser and wiser in years to come. Hopefully, we're not getting f more foolish instead. Now, that's foolishness. Wisdom has many things to teach us. The origin of wisdom, it comes from God. It teaches us prudence, think good things to live by. To live prudently is to live wisely. And it value, the value of wisdom is that it gives us an abundant life. You know, Jesus said that I have come to give you a life abundant. You know, and if we pay attention, if we're obedient to God's ways, we will have that abundant life. So that's, that's wise living. Uh, the origin of wisdom is everlasting. It's, it's, it's beyond uh, time. Before anything was created, wisdom existed. We're going to see that tonight as we go through these Proverbs. It teaches us understanding. It teaches us ways of living rightly. It teaches us, you know, when we don't understand something, we just sort of fumble through it. But when, they, when we have understanding, it's almost like when we, uh, when we buy a, a new piece of furniture from, uh, from a store that has to be put together and it has all these parts to it. And if we didn't have the directions, which many of us don't read, but if we didn't have them, we would have no understanding as to how this would, would, would go together. And we just sort of fumble our way and try to fit things together. And we do that sometimes in our life, don't we? We walk in a way that we, we don't have any understanding, but God wants to give us wisdom for understanding. And then the value of that is greater than riches, greater than any earthly wealth that we could acquire. 
Again, the origin of wisdom is before anything existed, before all things, and it teaches us excellence, excellent things. You know, it teaches us ways of living in an excellent way. You know, and the blessings for the wise are the value of wisdom. So we receive blessings. It teaches us truth. And it teaches us the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as we gain truth through wisdom, we also find life in Jesus Christ. It all goes back to that. It teaches us to hate wickedness. Wisdom teaches us to hate wickedness. The foolish love death and they love wickedness, but wisdom teaches us to hate it. As, as regards our salvation, you know, many of us might have viewed the gospel at one point as foolishness. You know, it even says in the scriptures in the New Testament that the gospel was foolishness to those who were, were dying because they didn't want to understand it. They didn't want to believe that God would send his son down to die for, for our sins, that all we needed to do was believe on him and we would have an everlasting life. To many, that sounds like foolishness. But eventually, and I think I can look around and say that most of us here tonight came to the realization that it was really foolishness not to believe, foolishness to reject that gift of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see tonight the contrast between foolishness and wisdom and <clears throat> they're in two different proverbs so proverbs chapter 7 proverbs chapter 7 solomon here is going to use very descriptive language to get his student which he calls his son in in many of the proverbs and us as an extension because we're reading this here uh, many thousands of years later to understand the seriousness of making good choices He'll contrast bad choices with good choices. Chapter 7 focuses on foolishness, while chapter 8 focuses on wisdom. And both are spoken of in very intimate terms. So the application to us is very personal. So think about the uh, imagery. Think about the descriptive language that Solomon uses here and again, we're going we're gonna to spiritualize it because there are many spiritual applications to, um, to these Proverbs. So jumping in in verses 1 through 4 of Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin. So you see how Solomon makes it very personal uh, to his student there and to, and to us. He's teaching us here five rules to live by, and each one is accompanied by a command and by an action word. And, you know, really, we can, we can take in a lot of information throughout our lifetime. But really, to walk in wisdom is to make it active in our life, is to kind of put feet on what we're taking in um, information-wise, or else really it does, no, it does no good. There's no benefit to us if we don't make that application, if we don't, if we don't then take action 
um, with what we're learning. So he says here in verse 1, keep my words. This is to be obedient. When we're given good counsel, we would do well to heed it. You know, many of us seek out counsel from, from one another, from another brother or sister, from a pastor or an elder in the church. And, you know, we give biblical instruction here at Calvary Chapel. We don't really, uh, we, don't, we don't give counsel, we don't do counseling as much as we give biblical instruction. So when, it, when anyone comes in for counseling or for, uh, you know, just to sit down and to talk, we always go back to the Bible. So that's where, that's where we, uh, we take our counsel from. And as long as you're getting good biblical instruction and guidance, we, you would be, it would be wise to heed that counsel. How many times do we regret? You know, we look back and we say, oh, I should have taken that, that advice. That was really good, wise advice. So Pro, uh, Solomon's saying here, my son, keep my words. And then he says, treasure my commands. Give that good counsel. Give that wisdom a high value in your life. You know, don't take it for granted. Give it, make it, a, make, give it a high place of priority in your life. And then he says, keep my commands and live. So this rule here comes with a probable outcome. It's better for us to heed godly counsel than to ignore it or reject it. So he's saying here, keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. The expression there, it's, it goes all the way back to biblical times. We, we hear it said even up till today, you know, that you're the apple of my eye. It denotes the center of someone's attention. The center of someone's attention. God's laws, God's ways, God's wisdom and instruction should always be the, at the center of how we live. And it will be beneficial to us. So Solomon is telling his student there, make it the apple of your eye. Make my law, make this wisdom I'm giving to you the center of your attention. And then bind them on your fingers. Another kind of expression that we use, you know, when we tie a string around our fingers so that we don't forget something. The expression here is telling us not to forget, not to forget the wise counsel that we receive. And, you know, it, you know, sometimes we hear it, it sounds good. You know, we may even apply it to our lives for a while, but then sometimes we forget those things. And I think the, the, the advice here by Solomon is, you heard it, you received it, you made application, that's all good. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Continue to use that, that wisdom in your life. And then write them on a tablet of your heart. So again, telling us not to forget, to remember God's ways. And how many times, you know, when we write something down, it really sticks, you know? And so it's something that, it's, it's imagery, it's expressive, but uh, maybe even for some of us, it would be a good idea to... Take these things that we hear and write them down, jot them down, and, uh, and then put them in a place that we'll always refer to them so we don't forget it. You know, it's useless for us to hear good counsel, or to hear wisdom or biblical instruction, and to just ignore it. But that's what many of us do. Solomon is clear here that these wise words are to re be remembered and to be applied. Keep them close to you. As a close relative, he says, he says here, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin. So hold them close 
to your heart and use them to make wise choices. And then he goes on, he gets more descriptive here in the, in the, in the rest of this proverb. He says, then, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. He's telling us here about the dangers of, specifically of sexual temptation. But this warning applies to anything, really, that draws us, that entices us away from the things of God. Notice that godly instruction is what keeps us from falling into the enticements of this world. He says here, if you follow my laws, if you remember them, if you make them important in your life, that they'll keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So again, we, we saw in the introduction the call of wisdom. This is the call of wickedness. This is the call of foolishness. Which voice are we listening to? Verse 6, for, the, for at the window of my house I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her, near her corner, and he took the path to her house. Notice how Solomon describes the young here as simple. Now, for the young people here, don't get insulted. It's just to say that they're not experienced in the things of the world. It's to say that they're more innocent about the things, that they're more naive because they haven't experienced those things yet. So they're simple because they don't understand that around the corner there may be some danger that they'll run into. Now, we learn over the years to watch out for those things. But as young people we sometimes have to learn the hard way. You know, and I think what Solomon is doing here is he's saying here, look, you're, you're, you're walking down a path that's going to cause uh, problems in your life. Don't go in, that, don't, don't go in that direction. It says here that he passes along the street near her corner and he took the path to her house. This, this is describing this young person as so so kind of naive and innocent that he thinks that he's seeking her out when actually she's the one that's seeking him out all along she's putting that temptation out there you know how many times you know we think that you know that we're just going along and these are the things that that kind of fall in our path when when it's really the 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 enemy of our soul who's putting those things in our path that we that we may trip trip up over them the world offers us many things and sometimes because we're not being careful, we're not being thoughtful, we're not, being, we're not using the wisdom that God's given us, we fall into those traps. Moving on in verses 9 and 10. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Notice here that the temptation comes when we're either not where we're supposed to be or not when we are supposed to be. He says here in the, in the black and dark night, you know, you know there's, a, there's an old saying that nothing good happens after, I don't know, midnight, 2 a.m., whatever it is, whatever the saying is. But there's certain, there's certain truth to that, you know. Well, wh why are you out? Why are you lurking around? Why are you, you know, out at that hour, the dark and black night? 
you know, when these things may come your way and you may not be able to uh, resist them. So the youth here is passing the street near her corner, which means he's kind of looking. He's looking for something, you know. And I think the wisdom here that Solomon's trying to teach us is to be careful where we go and when we go, you know, because there are things out there that may tempt us that um, would be foolish to fall into. I remember in Second Samuel <coughs> chapter 11, the fall of, of David. Why did he fall into that sin with Bathsheba? It says in verse 1, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Now, li- now this, you've got to understand the, the, uh, what's going on here. David is the king. He's sending all his men out to battle. And then look at the last line in that, in that verse. But David remained at Jerusalem. David remained at Jerusalem. He didn't go out to battle with the rest of the, the nation. He remained back. And then he fell. When he remained back, he looked across. He saw a beautiful woman bathing and he fell into temptation. And so he was not where he was supposed to be. I think the lessons there are, um, you know, are many. Solomon speaks of the temptation here in these verses in terms of darkness. You know, in Proverbs 2, in verses 2, 12 and 13, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So they left the righteous path to walk in the path of darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's told us that as His disciples, as His followers, we are the light of the world. We walk in the light when we follow Jesus' path. But if we go off of that path, we walk in darkness. So, just the imagery here is, is great to just teach us uh, the lessons of, uh, of foolishness. Um, back to Proverbs 7 in verses 11 to 13. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside. At times in the open square, lurking at every corner. She caught him and kissed him. So evil temptations here coming at us without discretion. They make themselves known and sometimes they'll throw themselves at us. You know, sometimes the temptations will just will present themselves in a way that we really need to be in the Lord. We need to be walking in the light. We need to be prayed up in order to avoid and, and resist those things. She goes on, he, he goes on here, With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me today. I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us, make, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. So what she's doing here is deceiving through spiritual means this is really 
kind of the worst kind of deception. The wicked woman takes the offerings that she brought before the Lord. You know, you know if, it's a, if it's a peace offering, part of it goes to the Lord, part of it you can take back with you. She takes those peace offerings back and she uses them now to entice this young man into, into sin. You know, that's, that's really dishonoring to God. You know, to take those things and use them in that way. First, she uses them to honor God, and then she kind of says, "You know, I've had, I've done, I've, I've gone to church today. Basically, you know, I prayed. You know, I, I did my, I did my weekly duty. Now, come on with me." It's kind of a strange dichotomy there. This deception is dishonoring to God because the righteous actions of an offering are used to entrap someone in sin. You know, where godly deeds are used to catch somebody in sin. Or even the false preachers that we may see sometimes using their position to ensnare God's people. You know, or someone who tries to justify their sin by saying, you know, they, you know that going to church or by tithing or, or something like that. So it's that strange type of thing. It, it, the, the two don't go together. And yet she uses this to deceive you know, and sometimes the things of the world have those confusing things. You know, they look somewhat a little bit spiritual. We're not really sure. They kind of look spiritual, but they kind of look very attractive too. And they might catch us because they have that l- little touch of spirituality to them. We really need wisdom to avoid that kind of stuff. Um, the lore of sexual sin goes on uh, brings with it the deception that you won't get caught. She goes on in verses 19 and 20. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him and he will come home on the appointed day, which is probably many days in the future because she says here, he took a bag of money, which means that he's going to be gone for a while and you know we have time so we won't get caught. So you know this, this type of sin you know, usually comes along with that. But many enticements, many temptations, you know, bring with it the idea that you, that you won't get caught. You know, I, I know that uh, everything will be revealed in its day, that nothing will go, um, will go secret, that everything will be shouted from the rooftop. So we know that those things, beware your sin will find you out, it says in the Scriptures. You know, so don't believe that lie. Many sins entice us with the promise of pleasure, but never show us the consequences. Many sins entice us with the promise of pleasure, but never show us the consequences. The advice here would be um, to married people who are here to keep the times you're separated from your spouse at a minimum. You know, only if necessary. You know, uh, the the... The Old Testament gives counsel here um, in Deuteronomy. I love this. And some people actually use this when they first get married to kind of establish their, their relationship. In Deuteronomy 24.5, God says, when a, man takes, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall no go, not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home for one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. That's good counsel. That's good wisdom. 
You know, we've, we've actually, I, I know couples who have gotten married and have actually stepped, stepped aside from ministry and uh, stepped aside from, from serving and a lot of things to concentrate for that one year to concentrate on their relationship, you know, and they've been given the freedom to do that. I think that's wise. It establishes something right at the beginning that we will be together, that the times that we're apart are going to be very, very rare and so that those other temptations won't come in. Um, Moving on in verses 21 through 25, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. Now remember, we're talking about the call of wisdom versus the call of foolishness. So we continue to see here that she's speaking to this young man. She's calling out to him. And again, what voices are we listening to? With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. See, it, it's, it's funny. The, the wording here, the imagery here is not, he went after her not for good things. Look at the results. As an ox goes to the slaughter or as the fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. So this is not, the results from this are not good. You know, Solomon's trying to get his student and us to see here that, you know, the, in the enticement of temptations have many times very, very bad consequences. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Solomon here is saying, listen, she's enticing you with her speech. She's flattering you with her lips. That's one voice. I'm telling you, I'm giving you wisdom. Listen to the words of my mouth. Listen to the wisdom that I'm giving to you. You know, it, you know incline your ears to godly counsel. Then notice the description of the man who falls into the trap. He's oblivious. He's oblivious to the consequences of his actions. So this warning to us is to avoid people, places, or activities that would cause us to fall into sin. You know, to flee, it says, it, it says in uh, the New Testament, to flee youthful lusts because those, things can, those can, things can entrap us. And then in the last couple of verses here, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So here the the destruction described here left in the wake of an evil person. And notice it's not just the weak who fall. It says all who were slain by by her were strong men. So, you know, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think you're strong, be careful. Be careful because you're susceptible also to falling into sin. So it wasn't just a weak person. You know, it was, it was a foolish person, but it could have been a very strong person, but just somebody who wasn't paying attention to, to the wisdom uh, to good godly counsel. So uh, Proverbs 8, we're going to shift here from foolishness 
to wisdom. And I, I love this. This is kind of encouraging. Contrasting the call of the wicked woman in, in, ver- in Proverbs 7 who entices the young man into sin. With, and then we hear now the call of wisdom. It says in Proverbs 8, we'll read uh, 1 through 11. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding left, lift up her voice? So here we see that contrast. The call of the wicked and the cry of, the, of wisdom. She takes her stand atop a high hill beside the way where paths meet. She cries out by the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the, be- from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips." All the words of my mouth are righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So I love the contrast here. We, we, we saw the wicked woman, the evil woman, and now we see wisdom personified in, in Proverbs 8 as, uh, as a woman. Pers- taking on the personality of a woman, crying out, calling out. So we hear this voice of evil in the one direction. We hear the voice of wisdom coming from the other direction. Wisdom is calling out to everyone wanting to reach the whole world. It's a public call to all people, unlike maybe the secretive call of the wicked, that whisper you know, that, you, that you hear from the, from the evil person. This call is public. Wisdom should appeal to us because of the openness and truth that it represents. You know, when something is done in secret, You have to think twice about it. You have to think that there's something wrong with it. If it can't be done openly, you know, wisdom calls openly to us. And that should be attractive to us. It represents truth. It's wisdom from God's Word. Three things characterize godly wisdom. In verse 6, it says here, Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. So godly wisdom is excellent. It's admirable. It's outstanding. And that's what we should be seeking. And then in verse 7, for my mouth will speak truth. So it's the truth of wisdom that's attractive to us. It's contrasted with the lies of sinfulness, the lies of foolishness. And then in verse 8, all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. So this this is honesty, this is virtue, this is justice. These are all the things that are the opposite of what sin, sin brings forth. And this is wisdom. So these are the, some of the really wonderful things that wisdom will bring us. Verses 12 and 13, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. 
So again, wisdom is personified here and introduced to us as something to be desired. Prudence, knowledge, and discretion are character traits that we should all aspire to attain. These are the kind of things that we want people to say about us, that, we're, that we, we, we have knowledge, we have discretion, that we're prudent in, in what, we, what we do. Prudence is doing something with forethought, with anticipation, you know, living our lives with forethought, thinking before we do, thinking before we say. You know, that's being prudent. I always quote Ephesians 5.15, see that you walk circumspectly. That's with forethought. That's, with, with, that's walking carefully, not as fools, but as wise. So Paul even uses the foolish and the wise in that, in that same verse. Knowledge, one of the other character traits that we, we should attain to, is understanding and awareness. Understanding and awareness. This is what guides us in our daily life. This is what directs us in, in everything that we do. That's understanding and awareness. So that we don't just walk through this world not thinking or not being aware, but we should always be aware. You know, because there's an enemy who's roaming about this earth to try to destroy us. So we need to be aware of that. Discretion here used in this, in this verse is the idea that everything that we do is for a purpose. Everything is for a purpose. That our actions have consequences. And, you know, they could be good and they could be bad. Just depends on, again, which voice we're listening to, which path we're going down, if we want to be foolish or we want to be wise. So that will, that will determine the consequences. Moving on in uh, Proverbs 8, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am, I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Notice here how you know, wisdom continues to be personified in this, in this proverb, in this chapter here. But notice how some of the things make you think of Jesus. I know they make me think of Jesus. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. This is wisdom talking, but when we think about it, it really sounds like the characteristics of Jesus. By me, kings rule. By me, princes rule. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. That's God. That's our God. You know, you seek him, you'll find him. Wisdom here continues to call to everyone who would listen. And I love here that it's not just, you know, the, the average person that, that he's speaking of. He's speaking of the rulers, the leaders. You know, how much better would this world be if our leaders would seek godly wisdom in everything that they do, in every decision that they make? And our prayer should be for our leaders, whether in the church, whether in local government or, or state or federal government, that they would seek God's wisdom. And, and, uh, and act accordingly. 
Moving on here, uh, verses 18 through 21. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold. Notice, first he says riches and honor are with me, enduring riches. So this is not earthly wealth. This is something more valuable than earthly wealth. He says in verse 19, My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Again, not with earthly riches, but with the wealth of the wisdom of God for everything that you do. Solomon had more wealth than anyone who ever existed at that point in his life. And he understood that wisdom was far more than the riches of this world. The application for us is to have the right perspective when it comes to earthly riches. That God's wisdom is much more valuable. You know, remember when when God asked Solomon what he could give him in, in Second Chronicles We have the account here of God saying to Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? And then Solomon responding, give me wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. That I may go out and come in before these people who can judge this great people of yours. So he knew he was given, you know, he was given a, a, a high responsibility for the people of Israel to to rule over them. He understood, Solomon understood, that without God's wisdom, he would not be able to do a a good job in ruling the people. And then God says, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor. God honored Solomon's request for wisdom by also honoring him in earthly ways. But that wasn't the most important thing. That wasn't the primary thing for Solomon. It was that he gained wisdom from God. Then in verses 22 and 23, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Wisdom here is personified again as being there at the beginning before anything ever existed. And it becomes the active word of God. Wisdom established the entirety of creation so that in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God created everything using his eternal wisdom. And then we see Jesus here as the wisdom of God and the word of God. You know, Paul writes, In Colossians 2, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Jesus. And then John writes in in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So wisdom here at the beginning of creation, before anything existed, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And I love that because... When we want to seek wisdom, we seek Jesus. If we want wisdom in our lives, we seek Jesus Christ because he fully encompasses all the wisdom of God. It says Again, it says in Colossians 2, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. That's where we gain that. Verses 24 through 31, finishing up here. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I, and I'm adding here, wisdom, was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him as a master craftsman, and I, wisdom, was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So think about creation. Think about the awesome power of creation. And we think about God through the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the triune God creating all things. Wisdom was there. And we can have that wisdom of God. The wisdom that brought forth everything out of nothing. We have access to that. God in Genesis 1.31, Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning when the sick were the sixth day. So God rejoices at his creation. And he, he rejoiced at the creation of man kind because he created man in his little image created man in his likeness and we're the primary focus of God's creation you know so we it all comes full circle you know God wisdom was with with God in the beginning creating all things and now we have access to that wisdoms that that we might walk in his ways what are we doing with the wisdom that's at our disposal? Are we using it in a way that would honor God? Finishing up. Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and those who hate me love death. The final invitation here is to obtain wisdom and to walk in his ways. To those who accept the invitation, come blessing, come life. But to those who reject it, come cursing and death. So the, the simple choice as we close here tonight, you know, do you want blessings and life or do you want cursings and death? Reach out. As wisdom is calling, reach out for the wisdom of God. Seek Christ. Get into His Word. Learn about Him more and more. Allow Him to really just dwell inside you so that everything that you do is done in godly wisdom. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.